0: Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today's topic is marketing versus selling. Hmm. But Rochelle, those are the same thing, aren't they?
1: <gasps> no, they're not, Jonathan.
0: <laughs> Pray tell. Never the same. <laughs> yes. So um, one of the classic um, responses I get, especially working with software developers or, or other people that have a kind of an engineering mindset like that, is that there's they're super grossed out by marketing. They're like allergic to the term marketing. And the reason I think is because they've got a fundamental misunderstanding of what marketing is because they'll usually, if we talk about it a little bit, i will say like, Oh, what don't you like about it? And like, Oh, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to be pushy. I don't want to, you know, and they describe that classic used car salesman personality and I'm like, okay, I, I understand why you don't want to be like that, and I'm certainly not here to make you be like that. Uh, but first of all, that's selling, that's not marketing anyway. <laughs> so um, it's just a, there's just a fundamental it's it's just not a well-defined term
1: oh, uh, and and it just it's even worse if if you come from a big consulting firm, so where really? where i where I grew up, yeah, selling was absolutely a dirty word. You did not use it. We used marketing.
0: Oh, I see. So, oh, well, that yes. would explain it. Oh, we're not yes. selling, we're marketing. So, it's like, what's your you title, VP today? of sales?
1: <laughs> well, in, in consulting, well, not, that's not actually, it's absurd to say that, but um, Hewitt Associates at the time, they actually did have people that had sales in their title, but in our firm, there was no one. -hmm. No one had sales in their title and no one really sold a hundred percent of the time. The closest we had, like my job was 50% sales or marketing (laughs) and 50%, you know, running things, doing that kind of stuff. But there was one guy who had maybe, he was maybe 20% billable. And in a firm that reveres, you know, the billable hour, 20% is really low, but he brought in crazy amounts of business Mm -hmm. but yeah so so you get this euphemism and it took me a long time to get out of the habit of saying marketing when i meant selling yeah
0: well so i i think you had a great definition just before we jumped on the call for marketing uh, which is creating a desire basically creating demand yeah demand right and there's a whole bunch of things that go into that, like uh, raising awareness in the marketplace or even before that, doing market research, finding mm-hmm. out what pains people are experiencing in, in the market that you're going planning to go after.
1: Positioning is marketing?
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, positioning to me is like yeah. marketing is like marketing strategy. It's mm-hmm. like your marketing strategy, uh, strategic level marketing is like positioning. And, and to imagine that okay, that's it. We're done. Like, we're just going to do, I don't know, content marketing. We're just going to do this or that. And like, everything's met. Ma- and then magically money is going to appear. Yeah.
1: It just comes in my inbox. Yeah.
0: It's just magical. Like, Oh, my website's beautiful. The positioning's great. The headlines are all crispy. And where's my, where's my money? Like, how come I'm not making any money? <laughs> this is like, you don't have a business if you don't sell stuff. And, yeah. and you can think of that in the, in terms of like, um, the kind of passive stuff sells like you're not gonna have a business if stuff doesn't sell but for a service business you're gonna do sales like you need to do sales that's that's the phone call when you've raised awareness in the marketplace and there is a desire to talk to you about possibly working together almost certainly you're gonna have some kind of meeting about that and then present some kind of proposal that my friend is sales
1: That's selling. Marketing is creating the demand. Selling is closing the deal.
0: Right. So if you don't do that, you're not going to be in business very long. (laughs) So I I don't know what to tell you. If you don't (laughs) like sales, then you're going to have a problem running your own business. I mean, I suppose you could hire a salesperson, but uh, you can't not do it, is my point.
1: Yes. It is a role that has to be filled one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's not even, I mean, we blithely say, oh, you can hire someone. Hiring somebody to sell for you is very difficult too. And I, I just don't want to give the impression you're just, oh, I'll just go find a salesperson. I mean, if you're, if what you're selling is at all complex, then the selling of it has a complexity too. Mm -hmm. So you have to find the person who's going to represent you and your services and products in the way that makes the most sense. And then you have to figure out how to compensate them for that. But that's a whole other topic. I just wanted to make sure, you know, we get on this point that selling really has to align with your marketing. It has to align with who you are and what you're ultimately going to deliver, the transformational change that you're delivering to your client base.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to cement the kind of line in the sand between the two things, I was, you know, talking to someone uh, recently who had hired some salespeople and, and, and they were thinking that the salespeople were going to get leads and then close them. And the salespeople were like, no, 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 no. You send me leads and I'll, I'll close them. <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a difference. There's a reason why, you know, in a, in a typical organization, there would be different titles for people in the marketing department and people in sales they're Mm -hmm. compensated differently incentivized differently Uh, they have different skills they read different books they hang around with different people it's different Uh, you do need to do both if there's uh, you know you you need to do marketing to so that there's a demand for what you're selling and then when someone expresses interest you need to sell the whatever it is the engagement yeah
1: yeah inbound and outbound
0: uh, okay, now that I. <laughs> there's outbound marketing, though.
1: Well, but- yeah, it's it's sales. It's like inside or external. It's okay. are you are you going to get? And it's it's the same for marketing and sales. We might right. put different names on them, but are you uh, are you reacting to what's coming in, or mm-hmm. are you going out and killing what you eat? You're <laughs> basically, right. yeah, you
0: are right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gardener or hunter. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, most of the people I work, work with prefer the gardener approach. Yeah. Um, but 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 then they drop the ball when people are like, you know, checking out the tomatoes. <laughs> <And they're> just, <laughs> oh, I guess they didn't want any tomatoes. It's like, well, did you ask them? <sighs> no, I didn't. No, I didn't want to bother them. Like, oh,
1: but your tomatoes, they're organic and they're grown in this beautiful <laughs> soil and they hang on this vine. Look at this. It's like fine art. Taste but, this sample. Well, why aren't they
0: selling <laughs> themselves, Rochelle? <laughs> so not not to be.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. It's true.
0: Right. So, okay. So this sort of stemmed from a, a conversation you had recently with the group about... Um, Aligning sales with, like how to do sales in a way that don't gross you out, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, the topic was values-based marketing and selling. But, you, you know, what, it, and my, my point of view about that is that the closer aligned your marketing and selling is with your values, the easier it's going to be, right? It's natural. You're mm-hmm. not trying to be someone that you're not or sell something that's out of sync with your values. But what, what it struck me a, about it is that people get really scared sometimes when we talk about selling and it's not the same as marketing, but mm-hmm. it's essential. And so to me, it's that, that link with values so that if you're the quiet introvert type who's saying you know why don't the tomatoes sell themselves there are ways to do quieter selling that still work in fact if you were shouting from the mountaintops i would argue that probably wouldn't work for you or if it did it would be a very short time frame because you couldn't sustain it Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't align with how you approach the market and you know the values that you have for yourself and your business
0: so how do you handle it how do you align those things
1: you mean me personally? Yeah. Oh, for me it's it's a very high touch kind of a thing. I mean, I I, I just I very seldom well, let me say this a different way. I would never mm-hmm. <laughs> um have a new client that I hadn't spent some time with on the phone to make sure that we were in alignment with what wanted with what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I want people to feel that Their, their information, their, the, the, the closely held things about themselves and their business are confidential. Mm. So it's, I want to react quickly when they reach out. I want to be very respectful of sort of their journey. I know that sounds soft, but everybody's got a different way of getting to where they are. And sometimes when people come to me, they're in a really bad place. And I want to respect that and empathize with it. At the same time, I want to show them what it could be like. In other words, I'm not there for them to just, you know, moan about what isn't there, but to help them get to their vision of the future. So I want people to feel that at every point of our interaction. I want them to feel it on the website. That's marketing. Mm-hmm. But selling is when we're actually connecting. When they send that first email to me, um, that's selling. For, yep. You know, when I respond. And everything, switches, yeah. yeah, everything from that point until they sign a deal, and I would argue beyond that, if that's selling. That's part of the selling process.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah, That so that raised a really interesting nuance that I think... Is worth talking about so I, I agree i've got the same sort of trigger point where it switches from marketing to sales for me it, like the highest ticket thing i sell is private coaching it's like four months mm-hmm. it's expensive and that and i and i never sell it i mention it in my daily emails which are marketing so the emails are marketing and occasionally when i have a spot open i'll mention it in the ps so when someone clicks on that link, they can read all about it, and it's still I still feel like it's marketing. And then when they click on apply now, and I get the, mm. the application, then the sales process starts. But I don't start yeah. selling. So like the verb selling, I think implies this like aggressive, always be closing kind of thing. But for me, and it, you know, in your process reminded me of myself, where it's like I'm not trying to close the deal we've entered a sales process but i might just as i might say like no this isn't a good fit right I, it's as likely i'm gonna say no as they're gonna say no yes so because
1: you're listening
0: yeah if it's not going to be a good fit i i know that in four months they're going to be disappointed and i do not want that and I'm, mm-hmm. i'll just sell the spot to somebody who's ready for it so it's not like um So I have the luxury of not being desperate for the money, which helps a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But even though that, you know, now it's sales mode, it doesn't, that is not synonymous with trying to close the deal. It's like, it's like, okay, we're talking about a potential engagement here, but either one of us can walk away from it. Uh, So to me, that is a a dramatic difference for folks who are petrified of sales or or they hold their nose thinking about sales. It's not that you're trying to manipulate the person or pressure them into giving you their money. It's not that at all. It's like you're trying to help them through the process. And I'm sure anybody listening to this can imagine a, a past experience, not even imagine, but remember an experience where they went into some shop where they got delightful service. That's sales. Like mm-hmm. those are called salespeople, you know, <laughs> or sales associates or whatever. And you, and if you imagine some scenario where you, you went, like the marketing worked, whatever, they have delightful things that attracted you, created a potential, a, enough desire for you to spend time going to the store. You go in the store, you walk in, you're looking around, you're very interested. And someone manages to um, approach you in a way that you like. So there's lots, people mm-hmm. have all different different um, sort of force field levels against salesmen or salespeople in a like in a retail store where they just- And like, let's
1: remember that. Let's come back to that point. That's yeah. important.
0: Yeah. So you've got different, sometimes you want help, sometimes you don't. I talked about the Home Depot story in a recent episode where I wanted someone to descend on me and and like help me through this process because I felt too stupid to even open my mouth. And <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen back to the- the Jason Resnick episode, but, uh, but I don't always want that. Sometimes I'm just, I don't know. I can remember in past years wandering around, like, I don't know, a mall and just killing time. And like, I don't really want to talk to the person in like Yankee Candle. I'm just standing there <laughs> or Sephora, you know, I'm like not, no, you really can leave me alone. I'm pretend I'm not here type of approach. So, <laughs> so same person, but in different situations, my force fields are going to be up or down and if you, a good clerk or salesperson or, or or whatever you would call them, an associate is going to be able to detect that whether or not you want to be approached, what kind of interaction that you want. And it's, so it's the same, not a, I can say that because you, dear listener, can probably think back to a time when an amazing salesperson helped you get what you wanted and mm-hmm. you, you were happy with the purchase. It went great. Uh, and it was a good thing. Now, is that was that person a gross, pushy used car salesman? No, but were they doing sales? You betcha. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. So you wanted well, to go back to the
1: it, Well, yeah, it's kind of like I think I can't remember if you used the word set point or if that's just what I wrote down, but the this idea that everybody has sort of a different feeling about what they need in the sales process at different points and in different stores right? So you felt a certain way in Home Depot, you might not feel that way if you walked into an office supply store, Mm -hmm. right? Even though you're the same person. So it's that really understanding where those folks are in the process of looking for your solution or your solution set Mm -hmm. and know that they come in it with certain ideas and expectations that have nothing to do with you. Right, right. They, they, they come, Well, they come in with two, two sets, right? One is this, all the stuff that has nothing to do with you. And the other is what they think might be possible based on what they've seen of you,
0: whatever okay. that yes. is,
1: whether, yeah, whether that's like a, a tweet uh, or whether it's a detailed review of everything on your site. I mean, I had somebody send me something recently where they, they sent me a link to the exact page on my website of the service that they thought they needed, Right, okay. that was very specific. It was really helpful to me too. But that was someone who had clearly evaluated and gone through that analysis on their own. I've had other people come to me that I don't think they even looked at it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I yeah, and I, and so and then we have you know we have those conversations. So the reason that it's important that you know that people come to it with their own stuff is so that you don't look at. Failure, quote unquote, your failure to sell them something you think they need as a failure. Mm -hmm. This is all about consultative selling, which is trying to understand the potential buyer and their point of view and meet their wants and desires, needs. Mm -hmm. That's really all it is. And if there's not a fit, that's okay. I mean, it's really hard when you're like struggling and you need a client, but in the long run, you will serve yourself and your client better by saying no to the bad fits. And that's what the selling process is. So to me... I love the sales process because it's it's like the tire kicking. And it's not that it doesn't have its annoyances. I just, you know, I have this rental property I've been working with and I have to, you know, re-rent it. So I've been walking people through it. And I had somebody who, uh, and as we we're recording this, it's, it's March 2nd, um, and they weren't ready to move until the middle of May. And I thought, really, you made me come out here and show this to you. And there's no way you're going to take this. This is going to be gone in a nanosecond. It's not going to be here until May. <laughs> but th- they were tire kickers. But it was still, you know, by asking questions, that's how I found out mm-hmm. they weren't going to tell me. Um, so it's that process. But was it you know anything about me personally or what i was showing them no it was all about them and their situation and what they needed
0: mm-hmm. yeah so I, I think as we're talking through this I'm, I'm trying to like um kind of categorize or or list the differences between like the like like everybody knows the used car salesman paradigm just like that always be closing like horrible 80s tom cruise character type of thing But what I'm trying to think, like, what are the characteristics of the opposite way? And it's 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 like what you've been saying. It's very consultative. It's you're looking for fit. You're not selling them. Mm -hmm. It's a sales process, but you're looking for fit. And I like the approach I take is I'm the type of I'm the type of shopkeeper, if you will, that is perfectly happy to send somebody to the shop across the street. If that's if I think they're going to find what they want over there yeah like all day long and in fact doing that i think (laughs) closes the deal because people are so like wow this this person is like walking the walk like this person really isn't just trying to take my money they're really looking out for my what they believe to be my best interest Mm -hmm. so uh, i think i think focusing on that is i it relaxes me like that's the reason why i don't like I, i
1: Oh, that's good. I like yeah. that. Say more about that.
0: It, well, it takes all the pressure off. So, like, if you if you're sort of a novice salesperson and you haven't read all the books, and you're and you're and you're thinking, oh, I listened to that episode, and Stark said, like, if we don't, if I'm not selling, I'm going to go out of business. So I got to sell, 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 and they, you know, buy a bunch of like salesy, always keep closing <laughs> books, and and they're trying to memorize all these tricks and and like psychology, and they're reading, you know cialdini yeah. or however you say his name and it and you they're trying to like learn all these tricks and like and that that feels like that feels like going on stage like three days after you got a guitar and just like like trying to sound like hendrix or something like of course you're nervous because you stink at that like you stink <laughs> at all that stuff and it's, it's the wrong stuff to learn anyway in my opinion but well it's ha-
1: hacks it's like yeah. we, you know, sales hacks to, you know, ignore that. Do not mm-hmm. even bother yeah. to read that.
0: Like if you're reading a book about body language, <laughs> you know, mirror it. No, it's like, okay, all that stuff probably works, but that is just going to stress you out. And that would stress me out. So when I would ever go into a sales meeting, whether it's now with a, you know, I say my private coaching is expensive, but it's of nothing compared to what my consulting engagements were like.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: when I would go into a meeting with like, I don't know, a fortune 500 retailer and I'd be talking to like an SVP or someone in the C suite. Right. And there was probably easily hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table, if not seven figures. And I wouldn't be nervous because whatever, if it's not a good, like I don't have to pretend I don't have to, you know, mirror their body language and trick them or, you know, like, like in class pitch, anything frame control stuff. I don't have to do any of that. Mm-hmm. Because I don't care if I don't get the like. That's the thing is like not needing the the engagement allows you to go in and truly, genuinely try to talk the person out of hiring you with the why conversation that I always talk about. It's like, well, why would you do this? Why why do it now? Why not put it off? Why hire someone expensive like me? You know I'm a specialist. Why would you hire me? Just do it in house. And if you if you're you just take all the pressure off yourself, and you put all of the air quotes convincing on the other person hmm and it's like all right well at the end of a, a good conversation like that I, I will either be convinced that i should recommend that they talk to somebody else or i will be convinced that i should spend an hour to write a proposal and if if i'm convinced that i'm going to write a proposal it's because i believe i actually am the right fit i believe that mm-hmm. i can help them achieve or at least contribute to achieving the outcome that they're looking for I've got a sense of what it's worth to them and it's, you know, stratospheric compared to my costs. So I know there's an acceptable price in there somewhere and I'm like, and I've got all the language I need because they just gave it to me. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll write this up and I'll give you three options. Um, you know, I could keep it between, you know, whatever. I might get into some pricing stuff with <laughs> them. That would be more of a black belt move, but yeah, the, the thing that, so the, so I'm answering your question, like, like how does it, why am i relaxed in situations like that because yeah. i don't care if i get the gig and if that sounds like a luxury guess where it came from it came from having that attitude it's not the other way around
1: <laughs> well it's it's a mindset and i i like the idea that like this physical feeling of relaxation in a meeting and my my um physical um, body, when I'm in a meeting like that, the only way I can describe it is I'm totally attuned to the other person.
0: Yep. Same here. It's like,
1: I've got, I know nothing else that's going on around me. It's like I'm 100% and it's flowing and it's easier when it's one-to-one versus a group of people. But if totally. you're in person, if you're in person, it's, I find it easy with a group because I literally can feel what's going on in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and by being so totally attuned, you don't exist Your ego doesn't Exist. That little voice that might tell you, Oh, have I spoken enough? Have I said something that sounds smart enough? None of that exists. And those all existed for me when I was, you know, a junior consultant just starting out because I just, I was petrified to look stupid. Uh-huh. That was the worst thing that could happen. But when you let all that go, you have no ego. You are in service to the ultimate transformation that you, your client wants to get to. And if there's a mis- mismatch at any point, you just, you point that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and, you, and i love that yeah. you, you disappear yeah you, yeah, you really do that's exactly and how it's, it feels
1: yeah and it's hard for some people to disappear they're like well but i have to like i have they, to show them how smart i am <laughs> yeah or they or how smart i am and there's that there's that, there's in, that. it's true that's that tends to be more when you have the assignment already and you worry about that mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's really it's to me the best consultative selling is the ego goes away. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that, if you think about it from a client perspective, especially if your client is like a high-end Fortune 500 C-suite or or functional head of something, they get sold to constantly. Mm -hmm. If you're having a meeting with them, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And if you can get to the point where they trust you and they might not hire you the first couple of times you talk to them about something. But when they get to the point where they trust you, they're going to hire you and they're going to talk about you to their their um, associates in other organizations. It's amazing. And that's what they love is that they don't feel like they have to compete with your ego, that you are there for them to succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's an analogy to um, the music music performance. And I do see sales as a performance art. And the music parallel is that, or it's, I guess it's a, it's sort of an adage, I guess, where people get stage fright or spe- It works for speaking gigs too. It works for speaking gigs too. This always, this all, if I ever got butterflies, this would help me. And it's the same that like, like, if you have butterflies going to a sales meeting, stop You're you're going in with the wrong attitude. If you're having butterflies going on stage, it's okay to be be excited and and worked up and like anxious, but it shouldn't be tra- You don't don't uh, you don't want to interpret it as a fear reaction. It's not a fear reaction
1: It's excitement.
0: It's excitement. It's it's you're anxious in a in an anticipation kind of way You're like mm-hmm. going getting into the zone and here's the thing that always uh, helped me helps me to not interpret the the heightened sense of awareness as fear Let's use a music, uh, a concert type of type of analogy. So, if you if you are going out on stage and there's a thousand people in the audience, and it's eight o'clock at night or it's nine o'clock at night, and they had to get a babysitter and they came from forty five minutes away and they wrestled with parking, and they had to (coughs) pay. They came in. It was packed, and they had to wait in line to get drinks. And they sat down and they found their seat. All of that stuff. They are not sitting there hoping you suck. <laughs> they want you to be amazing. They're yeah. not they're not going to sit there with their arms crossed and like prove how good you are. That's not what they want. Same thing with a conference. They want they're rooting for you because uh-huh. if you stink, it's going to wreck their night. <laughs> they don't want their <laughs> night wrecked. So if it's the same in a sales meeting, if you like you said, if you have a meeting with an executive, you're like more than halfway there because they've already some they're demonstrating through their behavior that they believe you have something they want because they're spending time just to talk to you. So mm-hmm. if you can just shut up when you get there and find out what it is exactly, exactly that they want, that they believe that you can contribute to, and you agree with them, you're like, "Wow, you're right." That if that's what you want, I know I can help you with that. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can. I probably wouldn't say it in so many words, but I would base the way I would say it. They would express something to me. Uh, most people are not not world-class communicators, so it's gonna be maybe room for interpretation or some assumptions and stuff. So then my job is, you know, for the software developers in the room I and listening, I just debug it. I debug what they said. So when you're debugging something, you have to go all the way back to test the most base assumptions. Is the computer plugged in? Before you even start worrying mm. about like the the symptom that was reported. So I debug what they're saying until I understand what the real root of the problem is, and by that point, they thoroughly trust me, or or it's gone horribly wrong and I couldn't find the root and we're not connecting and it's just like ah, this isn't this isn't a good yeah. fit, but yeah. usually you can debug the message that they're trying to send to you and get back to something and they'll say something like, "Wow, I would never have thought to say it like that, but you're exactly right," and then at that oh, point I know yeah. it's just a question of price, like. Like that, that's a closed deal.
1: Yeah. Cause I think what happens a lot of times is, especially in complex organizations, is that the presenting problem isn't the root problem.
0: Totally. Almost never. Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah, it's usually a symptom.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you know, it's especially when you do complex organizational work, you know, your job is going to be some diagnosis ultimately. And you can't always do all the diagnosis in a new business meeting. Sometimes you can. More often, you're getting hired to do the diagnosis, mm-hmm. but the client doesn't look at it that way. Mm-hmm. So it's like having this discussion so that you're all on the same page and you can decide, uh, as do they, whether you're the right fit or not.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely. In a case like that, the sort of diagnostic thing happens first. But even if you're getting, you know, if someone's talking to you about fixing a WordPress plugin, the same thing can can be at play. You know, mm-hmm. and it might just be that they, you know, they just need a plumber because the toilet's clogged. And you know, okay, I'm not the best fit. I will be the most expensive plumber you ever hire <laughs> if you hire me to fix this. I'm not even and, and the worst. Yeah, probably not even the best. <laughs> Actually, I, you just that's one of my lines I used to say when I when I was talking to someone who really just needed a pair of hands. I'd be like, "There's kids coming out of college now that are better at that than I am. Mm. Like, that's not that's not what people hire me for. People hire me for like knowing where to tap it, not tapping it.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: the old nuclear power plant story. But yeah, so all right, so I've got another angle to to take if, we don't, if, if we've exhausted this direction. <laughs> I,
1: I, I'm sort of done.
0: Okay, so there's an underlying theme that has popped up multiple times, which is that you need to not need any given deal. Like if you yes. don't want to be a pushy salesperson, you need to not need the deal. How do you not need the deal? i think the best way is to get so many leads that you're like well I'm got, i've got three more meetings like this this week so it doesn't put any extreme pressure on any one meeting so having lots of leads or a pipeline of some whatever you call it consultations or application review or whatever the that sales process piece for you if you've got a bunch of them lined up it's going to take a lot of pressure off because you've got some predictability the 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 likelihood that you're gonna close one out of three or five deals this week or month is pretty high. So you're like, eh, I don't need to, the opportunity cost feels much realer if you know you take this one client that doesn't seem like a good fit and then you have a sales call with somebody else that goes great. And you're <laughs> like, ugh, now I can't work with this great client until the summer and they're probably gonna take off because they need somebody before then. Mm-hmm. So having lots of leads is one way to do it. Having money saved is another way yeah. to do it. Imagine that, you know, just having money in the bank so you don't have to take everything that comes over the transom and just get, you need to find a way to not be desperate for the work uh, because people can sense it. It comes through in your actions. Yes. Unless you're a masterful actor, you, you're going to come across with that whiff of desperation that Blair Renz calls it. Uh, so you don't want a stench of desperation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're more like a stench. yeah. Right.
0: It's really hard for you to disappear, for your ego to evaporate and for you to really lock in and listen to the other person and help them communicate the thing they're trying to, the, the want, help them uncover the want and communicate it to you. It's really hard if you're like, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, oh, the mortgage, I've only got two days left to pay the mortgage or whatever.
1: Yeah, exactly. I
0: need this deposit. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and there's, you mentioned, you know, depending on how good an actor you are, acting doesn't work in in this this whole thing we're talking about. In my
0: whole life, I've only met one person that could be desperate for money and still do a good job, like do a non-pushy.
1: A sociopath? No.
0: (laughs) Close, close, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's that, I, I think part of this is, it's important to to feel that you don't need it. So whatever that is for you, whatever that looks like, and sometimes you just have to trick yourself. I mean, um, you know, I've been in places where I tricked myself into, you know what, even though I need this really bad, I would be doing them a disservice and it would be wrong it would just be, you know, we come back to values based, right? It would be morally and ethically wrong for me to push this and something else is going to happen. Yeah. And every single time I've done that, it hasn't been a lot. It's happened a couple of times because I've usually, you know, been able not to be at, at desk door. Mm. Um, but it's, there's always been something else that came along because I said no. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to give yourself that permission. And listen, if you've got, you know, kids and they're hungry, uh then you know the, you need a different Get a, a different job. option
0: yeah. yeah 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 getting a job's always an option
1: it's way yeah it's way it's, it's way more. better than being in a desperate place and trying to sell people on your business
0: right yeah it's certainly one option it's like and uh, you know i've had i can remember uh the the year i think it was 2012 or 13 i had stopped speaking at conferences i stopped writing books and guess what i stopped getting leads <laughs> <laughs> and Funny that was, how that works yeah and that was not my favorite year it was like it, it ended up being fine but like the 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 lack of inbound leads did affect me I was like I haven't gotten any leads and like you know and when I say lead back then it was always like a, an email from like random like who knows where just like mm-hmm. random email from like somebody with a big budget it was like a magic because I magic yeah Cause I had planted a garden and I tended to it for like, I don't know, two or three years and more than that, a little bit more than that. And it was, it was like throwing out giant tomatoes. I was like, I, I was giving <laughs> away tomatoes. And then I stopped doing that. I stopped taking care of the garden and guess what? No tomatoes. Yeah. And, and, but I still had whatever, just to torture the metaphor. I still had like lots of ketchup that I made with the old tomatoes. So it was like, okay, but, but the fact that the garden was dead was like, Ooh, that's a terrible yeah. feeling. Yeah, and and since I was an idiot, I was like, I wonder what happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like, duh. <laughs> what
0: what did you think? Like, oh, forever and ever, because you you went on the speaking circuit for three years, like forever. You're all set. No. So anyway, so yeah. so whatever the thing to to your point, whatever the thing is that's going to give you the confidence to walk away from. Like that, And that's the thing, like you need to be prepared to walk away from any, uh, I don't want to say opportunity because it's not really an opportunity, but any sales interview, just be able to like go into it being, just assuming you're not going to get it. And it's not like a defeatist thing, like, oh, I'm not going to get it. It's like, I don't care. Like if I'm only going to take this, I'm only going to want this if I want it. That's why I call it a sales interview. I never, I try never to call yes. it a sales meeting. I always say it's a sales interview, like a job interview where you're in both parties, are interviewing the other you know if you're an executive and you're sought after and you've got you know possible job openings lined up at google facebook twitter you know on down the list you're going to be interviewing the employer just as much as they're going to be interviewing you and what are you looking for yes you're both looking for a perfect fit it's the exact same with sales air quotes
1: Oh yeah, I'm just for some reason I'm thinking I've had this happen a number of times over my career. I'll get a meeting with someone, and they open it with, "So tell me why I should hire you."
0: I see you shouldn't if that's your attitude.
1: Yeah, exactly. But it's it's just hysterical. Or they'll it'll be a little bit more subtle. But so okay. So I looked at your website. Like, why do I need? you or somebody like you mm-hmm. and it's in i always have to turn that around because i'm not interested in selling somebody on something i don't even know anything about him yeah um you know yeah. other than whatever research i was able to do but that's not the same as hearing what somebody wants to have happen so if <laughs> you, you, you find those things and you have to have the courage to turn it back to the way that you operate at your best mm-hmm. um or turn it off
0: mm-hmm. right yeah. So you reminded me of of a hilarious, it wasn't a skit, it was like an interview on the old Tonight Show, Johnny Carson, and they had this guest on who's supposedly the world's best salesman. And I have looked and looked for this video on YouTube and it, I cannot find it, but it, it goes something like this, like Johnny, Johnny, the guy sits down and Johnny goes, uh, so you're, you're the best salesman in the world. And he's like, that's what they say. It's like, all right, well, sell me something like right on the spot. He's like, sell me something. And he's like, and he looks around. And he's like, well, what would I sell you? Right? He's he, Right? So then Johnny goes, I don't know. How about that ashtray? Because this was years ago when you could smoke on TV. <laughs> oh,
1: my God. And
0: Johnny goes, how about that ashtray? And he's like, why would you want that ashtray? And Johnny says, well, it, it's, it matches the decor. It, it's, it seems like high quality. It's like, all right. Well, how much is an ashtray like that? How much do you think it costs? And he's like, oh, probably about $75. And he goes, I'll give it to you for 45 <laughs>
1: That's perfect.
0: Yeah, so it's like that. That was the perfect concise forty-five second response to sell me something. It's like, well, what do you what do you want?
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that just reminded me. You know, I, I think I've mentioned I, I worked at Bloomingdale's for a while on the sales floor for about six months, and when I did the interview, um, the woman and she took me totally by surprise. She said, "Sell me your necklace. Like, sell me on it." And hmm. so I literally talked about the features of the necklace and and i laughed afterwards because i'm like that would never work in consulting Uh i can't tell you oh you know it has this and has this kind of a chain and it's made from this and of course i did tell a story because i got it in in a in a small little shop in in france Mm -hmm. so that i made the story but i was laughing it was like it was all about the features and that's not what we sell with the kinds of people who are listening to this you know you're Mm. selling something much bigger and more profound and more transformational than you know a piece of jewelry
0: you could still do the same thing of course though right like you could say well why would you why would you want this necklace why would you want a necklace at all yeah why are you you even here
1: yeah you know exactly because
0: you don't because that's the thing if you if you if you get on your heels and you that you know they give you a whether it's a pointed question, whether it's explicit or implicit or it's veiled, and you find yourself listing your resume, ugh, it's over. It's over.
1: Yeah. And it's it's funny because I've had meetings um, where you kind of feel from the beginning that it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And it, it was funny because when I had my business the first business I created with multiple employees, there was a particular kind of client. And it turns out it was the people who loved my co-founder, right? He was a brilliant kind of authority style guy and people either loved him or hated him. There was no in between. And these were these crusty, <laughs> older guys. And I would go come back from the meeting and I'd say, oh my God, we're not getting that you know they hated me they were mean they were crusty i didn't really like them and every single time they give us the business (laughs) and i'm like but i don't want that one (laughs) after a while i learned right is you figure it out right in the beginning whether that's somebody that you want to work with or not and um you know you you handle the meeting accordingly
0: Mm, that's actually a good segue into kind of wrapping up back to the original point or the title marketing versus selling, which is, you know, it's, it's a pretty smooth continuum between the two things. Like, yes, they're different. And yes, there's like a, a Rubicon that gets crossed when you go from marketing into sales or or sales Mm -hmm. interview anyway. But you want all that stuff to be really aligned to in the, in your marketing so that downstream when you're talking to potential clients, they're, they already know what to expect. They already know they like, they. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I want to say, that yes, they like you, but also that you've got something that is what they need. They are, they're kind of sold already and they just need to validate that. Well, anyway, the the point is that you want your marketing to set expectations yes it needs to raise awareness and all that stuff but you want to set expectations about what an engagement or the delivery of the service would be like so that when you do finally get on the phone with somebody or you actually go meet them in person someday then they'll be like yeah this is like there's no surprises it's not like this weird cognitive disconnect between like you know i don't know like your website's super professional or something and and you show up all casual and you know you're you're you talk like a surfer or something. You know, they're just being like, oh, this yeah. is totally not what I was expecting. Also, and this is what you just said that reminded me about this, is that if you're attracting the wrong kind of clients in your marketing and you're having these sales calls with people who are either crusty old guys, <laughs> I resemble that <laughs> remark, or, or they are um, bitter, or cynical, you're yes. attracting like cynical people because you've got cynical language on your website, and they and they start off, you know, at, like three out of four people that you interview in a sales interview talk about the last consultant they had that they kicked out because they felt oh. so bad. We, oh, we we had to sue the last guy. Hope that yeah. doesn't happen oh. to you.
1: <laughs> run, don't walk. <laughs> oh, run. run,
0: right? Yeah. So you know, having the things, you know, stepping back. And taking stock of whatever your existing marketing is and whatever your current sales process is and and just asking yourself like is this stuff all aligned or maybe even ask past clients like you know hey when we got it you know remember that phone call we had where we kind of like touched base and we got to know each other a little bit did that map to your expectations did that seem like or were you surprised by anything you could actually i've never done it yeah. but you could actually go back and just ask past clients like what they were thinking Right before they reached out how they found out about you and then once they met you what the expectations were like
1: yeah or you can even hire an independent third party to do that for you if Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. absolutely or you can start a
0: podcast and everyone will know exactly what you're like
1: (laughs) (laughs) but that alignment is really everything Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. And ideally, you just get, you know, one here and there that's out of alignment because they just didn't bother to really research you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had one of those not too long ago that was a referral from somebody and they didn't look at anything I'd ever written. And they were, you know, clearly we weren't a fit. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't a fit. Now, I was able to help. The other person and you know send them in the right direction and i'm fine because it was a referral i mean i'm happy to have helped but it was a complete mismatch from the beginning yeah and those will come through what you don't want to have happen is somebody who goes through all of your um your your funnel if you will goes through this whole experience before they become a client and then is a really bad fit when you start talking to them then there's something that's probably broken in there, and in you got to find what it is. Yeah, right. in mm-hmm. in your marketing, and you know, I I like to think of it as you know, what's the client experience from the very beginning, that very first touch point, whatever that is, all the way to whatever the end looks like. If mm-hmm. if there is an end, some some people like to keep clients for life. So what is sure. what are the touch points, and how do they feed each other, and are they all consistent? That's the thing that matters most, mm-hmm. I think. Are they consistent? Are they aligned? Are you telling, you know, one story basically?
0: Yeah, I mean, that just makes your job so much easier when it does get down to that kind of, uh, it's like an expensive process to have a sales call with someone. You know, if you you have a, Mm. uh, if you're going to schedule a time and you're going to, you're going to, you know really focus you know what i mean like get into that performance mode and be like and do right, your man.
1: research you've got to prep for those calls so yeah it's... i don't
0: do that actually <laughs> <laughs> i i do i know you do i <laughs> do yeah i like so, to know
1: about okay. people before my, i before i talk with them
0: in my consulting days i definitely did I, I would do like a half an hour research before a a meeting with like an executive at a big company and be like what were their quarterly earnings or like what was the what was the, you know, the the CEO of the company would almost always have some like public PDF of like their strategy for the upcoming year. So then I could like bring that up in the meeting and be like, well, you know, Bob said the strategy for this year is like whatever. And maybe so this seems does this align with that strategy or is this like a skunk you know, Anyway, so I would do a little bit. But the thing the thing that I, I'm not I don't think it's a bad thing to do research, but you do want to be aware of the sunk cost of getting too enrolled or too engaged in closing a particular deal. So I mean, do do whatever due yeah, diligence you I, need to do but I
1: think it depends on your on your business and revenue model. So if you're the kind that has three assignments a year, and they're a hundred thousand dollars a piece you're going to do more dil- due diligence than somebody that's selling a process that's a few thousand dollars and yep. that turns over it, it just has to match your investment in that process has to match the the mechanics of how you make money
0: yeah i totally agree the thing that i want people to watch out for is the overinvestment investment in uh, closing a small deal because it's not uncommon that people Mm -hmm. and then they get all ticked off when the person doesn't hire them you know after six months of going back and forth it's like well you should have just let that deal die after the first two phone calls like like why did you keep chasing this person for six months and they finally said no and now you're mad like they were obviously gonna say no (laughs) so anyway
1: yeah it's you know clients can be fickle and you, know, the, and you do yourself a favor when you don't get too emotionally enmeshed in winning mm-hmm. any particular – and I used winning intentionally – any particular uh, deal hmm it's it's got to be about you know what the cl- say it has to be but i think it's helpful if it's, helpful. it's really about what the client is trying to do and you get on board with them i've sometimes said you have to you have to fall a little bit in love with every client or i do before i take them on and i i mean that in the best sense where i i'm engaged in what it is they're trying to make happen in the world mm-hmm. because then not only do i get it i'm still an outside viewpoint Right. So I'm not enmeshed in their point of view at this point. I can see what they want and I can more independently evaluate what's going on and what's getting in the way of doing that. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I really care about their vision coming to light. Like if somebody said, I want to turn more people into smokers, (laughs) I'd be like, go away go find some other schmuck to help you with that i'm not interested but yeah it's it's you've got to be really invested in helping your client achieve whatever it is their vision is
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's like my you know i only work with people i like yeah yeah it just makes everything else easier
1: it really does. <laughs> you you know, and we've all been there, like you see somebody's name on your phone and you're like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, no, go away.
0: Uh, we I, I had a client years ago that, that Erica and I would refer to around the house as he who shall not be named because it was like if I ever said his name, he would email me. It was weird. <laughs>
1: You shall not be named that's
0: good years and years ago he's guaranteed you if you're listening to this and you think it's you it's not you (laughs) (laughs) uh uh, anyway all right cool so i think we've gone around the bend and back again
1: i think we have so so let's just remember selling is not a dirty word Mm -hmm. selling can actually really be fun if you think about it as you know getting inside the head of your client and trying to help them get to their vision of you know this future state that you're gonna help them get to.
0: Yep. And that up to and including sending them to someone else.
1: Yes. Yes. You don't have to do it all.
0: Very good. All right folks, oh. that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Cinnamon Chip.
1: Oh, I mean <laughs> Rochelle Moulton. <laughs> we can do I that never, over.
0: <laughs> never gonna I couldn't, that down.
1: I couldn't resist.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm cinnamon chip
1: oh oh i forgot i forgot that should be our merch
0: (laughs) i have like a little stuffed cinnamon chip scone (laughs) anywho
1: are we keeping all this
0: (laughs) i'm not editing anything okay all right folks there you have it (laughs) hope i I, now i have i totally lost now (laughs) all right that's it for this week i'm cinnamon chip
1: And I'm Rochelle Moulton.
0: And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye.
1: Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye.